Section 4 of the Argonautica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jacob Payne. The Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. Translated by R. C. Seton. Section 4, Book 1, Part 4. But the earth-born men on the other side rushed down from the mountain, and with crags below blocked up the mouth of vast Kytus towards the sea, like men lying in wait for a wild beast within. But there Heracles had been left behind with the younger heroes, and he quickly bent his back-springing bow against the monsters and brought them to earth, one after another. And they, in their turn, raised huge ragged rocks and hurled them. For these dread monsters too, I ween, the goddess Hera, bride of Zeus, had nurtured to be a trial for Heracles, and therewithal came the rest of the martial heroes returning to meet the foe before they reached the height of outlook, and they fell to the slaughter of the earthborn, receiving them with arrows and spears, until they slew them all as they rushed fiercely to battle. And as when woodcutters cast in rows upon the beach long trees just hewn down by their axes, in order that, once sodden with brine, they may receive the strong bolts, so these monsters at the entrance of the foam-fringed harbor lay stretched one after another, some in heaps bending their heads and breasts into the salt waves with their limbs spread out above on the land. Others again were resting their heads on the sand of the shore and their feet in the deep water, both alike a prey to birds and fishes at once. But the heroes, when the contest was ended without fear, loosed the ship's hawsers to the breath of the wind and pressed on through the sea-swell, and the ship sped on under sail all day. But when night came the rushing wind did not hold steadfast, but contrary blasts caught them and held them back till they again approached the hospitable Dolionese and they stepped ashore that same night, and the rock is still called the Sacred Rock, round which they threw the ship's hawsers in their haste. Nor did any one note with care that it was the same island, nor in the night did the Dolionese clearly perceive that the heroes were returning, but they deemed that Pelagesian war-men of the Macrians had landed. Therefore they donned their armor and raised their hands against them, and with clashing of ashen spears and shields they fell on each other, like the swift rush of fire which falls on dry brushwood and rears its crest in the den of battle terrible and furious fell upon the people of the dolionese nor was the king to escape his fate and return home from battle to his bridal chamber and bed but aeson's son leapt upon him as he turned to face him and smote him in the middle of the breast and the bone was shattered round the spear he rolled forward in the sand and filled up the measure of his fate for that no mortal may escape but on every side a wide snare encompasses us. And so, when he thought that he had escaped bitter death from the chiefs, fate entangled him that very night in her toils while battling with them. And many champions withal were slain. Heracles killed Telecles and Megabrontes, and Acastus slew Sphadrus, and Peleus slew Zelus, and Gephyrus swift in war. Telamon of the strong spear slew Basilus, and Idas slew Promeus, and Clytius, Hyacinthus, and the two sons of Tyndareus slew Megalosaces and Phlogius, and after them the son of Oeneus slew bold Etomenius, and Artasius, leader of men, all of whom the inhabitants still honor with the worship due to heroes. 
and the rest gave way and fled in terror, just as doves fly in terror before swift-winged hawks. And with a din they rustled in a body to the gates, and quickly the city was filled with loud cries at the turning of the dolorous fight. But at dawn both sides perceived the fatal and cureless error, and bitter grief seized the minion heroes when they saw before them Sisychus, son of Aeneas, fallen in the midst of dust and blood. And for three whole days they lamented and rent their hair, they and the Delionese. Then three times round his tomb they paced in armor of bronze and performed funeral rites, and celebrated games, as was meet, upon the meadow plain, where even now rises the mound of his grave to be seen by men of a later day. No, nor was his bride Cleity left behind her dead husband, but to the crown the ill she wrought, an ill yet more awful, when she clasped a noose round her neck. Her death even the nymphs of the grove bewailed, and of all the tears for her that they shed to earth from their eyes, the goddesses made a fountain, which they call Cleity, the illustrious name of the hapless maiden. Most terrible came that day from Zeus upon the Dolionese, women and men, for no one of them dared even to taste food, nor for a long time by reason of grief did they take thought for the toil of the corn-mill, but they dragged on their lives, eating their food as it was, untouched by fire. Here even now, when the Ionians that dwell in Sisychus pour their yearly libations for the dead, they ever grind the meal for the sacrificial cakes at the common mill. After this, fierce tempests arose for twelve days and nights together and kept them there from sailing. But in the next night the rest of the chieftains, overcome by sleep, were resting during the latest period of the night, while Acastus and Mopsus the son of Amphius kept guard over their deep slumbers. And above the golden head of Aeson's son there hovered a halcyon, prophesying with shrill voice the ceasing of the stormy winds. And Mopsus heard and understood the cry of the bird of the shore, fraught with good omen. And some god made it turn aside, and flying aloft it settled upon the stern ornament of the ship. And the seer touched Jason as he lay wrapped in soft sheepskins, and woke him at once, and thus spake, Son of Aeson, Thou must climb to this temple on rugged Dendimum, and propitiate the mother of all the blessed gods on her fair throne, and the stormy blasts shall cease. For such was the voice I heard but now from the halcyon, bird of the sea, which, as it flew above thee in thy slumber, told me all. For by her power the winds and the sea and all the earth below and the snowy seat of Olympus are complete, and to her, when from the mountains she ascends the mighty heaven, Zeus himself, the son of Kronos gives place. In like manner the rest of the immortal blessed ones reverence the dread goddess. Thus he spake, and his words were welcome to Jason's ear, and he arose from his bed with joy, and woke all his comrades hurriedly, and told them the prophecy of Mopsus, the son of Ampicus. And quickly the younger men drove oxen from their stalls, and began to lead them to the mountain's lofty summit and they loosed the hawsers from the sacred rock and rode to the thracian harbor and the heroes climbed the mountain leaving a few of their comrades in the ship and to them the macrian heights and all the coast of thrace opposite appeared to view close at hand and there appeared the misty mouth of bosporus and the mesian hills and on the other side the stream of the river aesopus and the city and nepean plain of adrestia now there was a sturdy stump of vine that grew in the forest, a tree exceedingly old. 
This they cut down, to be the sacred image of the mountain goddess, and Argus smoothed it skillfully, and they set it upon the rugged hill beneath a canopy of lofty oaks, which of all trees have their roots deepest. And near it they heaped an altar of small stones, and wreathed their brows with oak leaves, and paid heed to sacrifice, invoking the mother of Dindymum, most venerable, dweller in Phrygia, and Titius and Silenius, who alone of many are called dispensers of doom and assessors of the Idean mother, the Idean dactyls of Crete, whom once the nymph Anchiole, as she grasped with both hands the land of Oixus, bare in the Dictaean cave and with many prayers did Aeson's son beseech the goddess to turn aside the stormy blasts as he poured libations on the blazing sacrifice and at the same time by command of orpheus the youths trod a measure dancing in full armour and clashed with their swords on their shields so that the ill-omened cry might be lost in the air the wail which the people were still sending up in grief for their king hence from that time forward the phrygians propitiate rhea with the wheel and the drum. And the gracious goddess, I ween, inclined her heart to pious sacrifices, and favorable signs appeared. The trees shed abundant fruit, and round their feet the earth of its own accord put forth flowers from the tender grass. And the beasts of the wild wood left their lairs and thickets, and came up fawning on them with their tails. And she caused yet another marvel, for hitherto there was no flow of water on Dindymum, but then for them an unceasing stream gushed forth from the thirsty peak just as it was and the dwellers around in aftertimes called that stream the spring of jason and then they made a feast in honour of the goddess on the mount of bears singing the praises of rhea most venerable but at dawn the winds had ceased and they rode away from the island thereupon a spirit of contention stirred each chieftain who should be the last to leave his oar for all around the windless air smoothed those swirling waves and lulled the sea to rest. And they, trusting in the calm, mightily drove the ship forward, and as she sped through the salt sea not even the storm-footed steeds of Poseidon would have overtaken her. Nevertheless, when the sea was stirred by violent blasts, which were just rising from the rivers about evening, forespent with toil, they ceased but heracles by the might of his arms pulled the weary rowers along all together and made the strong-knit timbers of the ship to quiver but when eager to catch the mesian mainland they passed along in sight of the mouth of rindeus and the great cairn of aegeon a little way from phrygia then heracles as he ploughed up the furrows of the roughened surge broke his oar in the middle and one half he held in both hands as he fell sideways and the other the sea swept away with its receding wave. And he sat up in silence, glaring round, for his hands were unaccustomed to be idle. Now at the hour, when from the field some delver or ploughman goes gladly home to his hut, longing for his evening meal, and there, on the threshold, all squalid with dust, bows his wearied knees, and, beholding his hands worn with toil, with many a curse reviles his belly. At that hour... The heroes reached the homes of the Sinian land near the Arganthonian mount and the outfall of Seus. Them, as they came in friendliness, the Mesians, inhabitants of that land, hospitably welcomed and gave them in their need provisions and sheep and abundant wine. Hereupon some brought dried wood, others from the meadows, leaves for beds, which they gathered in abundance for strewing. 
whilst others were twirling sticks to get fire. Others again were mixing wine in the bowl and making ready the feast, after sacrificing at nightfall to Apollo Ecbasius. But the son of Zeus, having duly enjoined on his comrades to prepare the feast, took his way into a wood, that he might first fashion for himself an oar to fit his hand. Wandering about, he found a pine not burdened with many branches, nor too full of leaves, but like to the shaft of a tall poplar, so great was it both in length and thickness to look at. And quickly he laid on the ground his arrow-holding quiver together with his bow, and took off his lion's skin, and he loosened the pine from the ground with his bronze-tipped club, and grasped the trunk with both hands at the bottom, relying on his strength. And he pressed it against his broad shoulder, with legs wide apart. And clinging close, he raised it from the ground deep-rooted, though it was, together with clods of earth. And as when unexpectedly, just at the time of the stormy setting of Bayful Orion, a swift gust of wind strikes down from above, and wrenches the ship's mast from its stays, wedges and all, so did Heracles lift that pine. And at the same time he took up his bow and arrows, his lion-skin and club, and started on his return. Meantime, Hylas, with pitcher of bronze in hand, had gone apart from the throng, seeking the sacred flow of a fountain, that he might be quick in drawing water for the evening meal, and actively make all things ready in due order against his lord's return. For in such ways did Heracles nurture him from his first childhood, when he had carried him off from the house of his father, goodly Theodemos, whom the hero pitilessly slew among the Dryopians, because he withstood him about an ox for the plough. Theodemos was cleaving with his plough the soil of fallow land when he was smitten with the curse, and Heracles bade him give up the ploughing ox against his will, for he desired to find some pretext for war against the Dryopians for their bane, since they dwelt there reckless of right. But these tales would lead me far astray from my song. And quickly Hylas came to the spring, which the people who dwell about there called Pige. And the dances of the nymphs were just now being held there, for it was the care of all the nymphs that haunted that lovely headland ever to him Artemis in the songs by night. All whom held the mountain peaks or glens, all they were ranged far off guarding the woods. But one, a water nymph, was just rising from the fair flowing spring, and the boy she perceived close at hand with the rosy flush of his beauty and sweet grace for the full moon beaming from the sky smote him and cyprus made her heart faint and in her confusion she could scarcely gather her spirit back to her but soon as he dipped the pitcher in the stream leaning to one side and the brimming water rang loud as it poured against the sounding bronze straightway she laid her left arm above upon his neck yearning to kiss his tender mouth and with her right hand she drew down his elbow and plunged him into the midst of the eddy alone of his comrades the hero polyphemus son of elatus as he went forward on the path heard the boy's cry for he expected the return of mighty heracles and he rushed after the cry near pege like some beast of the wild wood whom the bleating of sheep has reached from afar and burning with hunger he follows, but does not fall in with the flocks, for the shepherds beforehand have pinned them in the fold, but he groans and roars vehemently until he is weary. Thus vehemently at that time did the son of Elatus groan and wandered shouting round the spot, and his voice rang piteous, 
Then quickly, drawing his great sword, he started in pursuit. In fear, lest the boy should be the prey of wild beasts, or men should have lain in ambush for him faring all alone, and be carrying him off an easy prey. Hereupon, as he brandished his bare sword in his hand, he met Heracles himself on the path, and well he knew him as he hastened to the ship through the darkness, and straightway he told the wretched calamity while his heart labored with his panting breath. My poor friend, I shall be the first to bring thee tidings of bitter woe. Hylas has gone to the well and has not returned safe, but robbers have attacked and are carrying him off, or beasts are tearing him to pieces. I heard his cry. Thus he spake, and when Heracles heard his words, sweat in abundance poured down from his temples, and the black blood boiled beneath his heart, and in wrath he hurled the pine to the ground, and hurried along the path whither his feet bore on his impetuous soul. And as when a bull stung by a gadfly tears along, leaving the meadows and the marshland, and wrecks not of herdsmen or herd, but presses on, now without cheek, now standing still, and raising his broad neck he bellows loudly, stung by the maddening fly. So he in his frenzy now would ply his swift knees unresting, now again would cease from toil and shout afar with loud pealing cry. But straightway the morning star rose above the topmost peaks, and the breeze swept down, and quickly did Typhus urge them to go aboard and avail themselves of the wind, and they embarked eagerly forthwith, and they drew up the ship's anchors, and hauled the ropes astern, and the sails were bellied out by the wind, and far from the coast were they joyfully borne past the Poseidian headland. But at the hour when gladsome dawn shines from heaven, rising from the east, and the paths stand out clearly, and the dewy plains shine with a bright gleam, then at length they were aware that unwittingly they had abandoned those men. And a fierce quarrel fell upon them, and violent tumult, for that they had sailed and left behind the bravest of their comrades. And Aeson's son, bewildered by their hapless plight, said never a word, good or bad, but sat with his heavy load of grief, eating out his heart. And wrath seized Telamon, and thus he spake, Sit there at thy ease, for it was fitting for thee to leave Heracles behind. From thee the project arose so that his glory throughout Hellas should not overshadow thee, if so be that heaven grants us a return home. But what pleasure is there in words? For I will go, I only, with none of thy comrades, who have helped thee to plan this treachery. He spake, and rushed upon Typhus, son of Hagenius, and his eyes sparkled like flashes of ravening flame. And they would quickly have turned back to the land of the Mycenaeans, forcing their way through the deep sea and the unceasing blasts of wind, had not the two sons of Thracian Boreas held back the son of Aeacus with harsh words. Hapless ones, assuredly a bitter vengeance came upon them thereafter at the hands of Heracles, because they stayed the search for him. For when they were returning from the games over Peleus dead, he slew them in sea-girt Tinnus, and heaped the earth round them, and placed two columns above, one of which, a great marvel for men to see, moves at the breath of the blustering north wind. These things were thus to be accomplished in after-times, but to them appeared Glaucus from the depths of the sea, the wise interpreter of divine Nereus, and raising aloft his shaggy head and chest from his waist below, with sturdy hand he seized the ship's keel, and then cried to the eager crew, 
why against the council of mighty zeus do ye propose to lead bold heracles to the city of aetes at argos it is his fate to labor for insolent eurystheus and to accomplish full twelve toils and dwell with the immortals if so be that he bring to fulfilment a few more yet wherefore let there be no vain regret for him likewise it is destined for polyphemus to found a glorious city at the mouth of Seus, among the mysians and to fill up the measure of his fate in the vast land of chalybes but a goddess nymph through love has made hylas her husband on whose account those two wandered and were left behind he spake and with a plunge wrapped him about with the restless wave and round him the dark water foamed in seething eddies and dashed against the hollow ship as it moved through the sea and the heroes rejoiced and telamon son of aeacus came in haste to jason and grasping his hand in his own embraced him with these words son of aeson be not wroth with me if in my folly i have erred for grief wrought upon me to utter a word arrogant and intolerable but let me give my fault to the winds and let our hearts be joined as before him the son of aeson with prudence addressed good friend assuredly with an evil word didst thou revile me saying before them all that i was the wronger of a kindly man but not for long will i nurse bitter wrath though indeed before i was grieved for it was not for flocks of sheep no nor for possessions that thou wast angered to fury but for a man thy comrade and i were fain thou wouldst even champion me against another man if a like thing should ever befall me he spake and they sat down united as of old but of those two by the counsel of zeus one polyphemus son of elatus was destined to found and build a city among the mysians bearing the river's name and the other heracles to return and toil at the labors of Aristheus, and he threatened to lay waste the mycenaean land at once should they not discover for him the doom of hylas whether living or dead and for him they gave pledges choosing out the noblest sons of the people and they took an oath that they would never cease from their labor of search therefore to this day the people of Seus inquire for hylas the son of theodemus and take thought for the well-built trachis for there did Heracles settle the youths whom they sent from Seus as pledges. And all day long and all night the wind bore the ship on, blowing fresh and strong. But when dawn rose there was not even a breath of air, and they marked a beach jutting forth from a bend of the coast, very broad to behold, and by dint of rowing came to land at sunrise. End of section 4. Recording by Jacob Payne. Taipei, Taiwan.